Can I just respectfully disagree with my dear friend? The, 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 yeah, go ahead. I want to. I want to. I want to respectfully disagree with my dear friend Joaquin Castro, next to whom I sit on the Intelligence Committee. He said he would not be surprised if people ended up going to jail. I will be surprised if people don't end up going to jail. My guest today made that call more than a year ago. Now with the conviction of the head of Donald Trump's campaign, Paul Manafort, and the flipping of his personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, it looks like he was right. Welcome to Bots and Ballots from Yahoo News. I'm Grant Burningham. Representative Denny Heck sits on the House Intelligence Committee, and he publicly disputed the Republican report which came out of that committee and found no collusion in the Trump campaign earlier this year. Representative Heck offers a unique window on how our government, or at least part of our government, is responding to the threat of foreign meddling in our elections. I will just quickly mention that Representative Heck is also an entrepreneur, an author, and a playwright. Representative Denny Heck, thank you so much for coming on Bots and Ballots. You're more than welcome. Glad to be here, Grant. So, Denny, you sit on the House Intelligence Committee panel. Why don't we start back in April? They released a report saying that there was no evidence of collusion between Trump's campaign and Russia. Do you feel the same way, having seen the same evidence that they had? I think that what is available in open sources can only logically lead an individual to conclude that that their assertion is demonstrably incorrect. Collusion is hiding in plain sight. I I know of no other way to interpret uh, then-candidate Trump openly, publicly encouraging Russia to hack a computer system. I know of no other way to interpret the fact that the then-candidate Trump's campaign manager and son-in-law and son met with uh, agents on behalf of the Russian government with an expectation of being given, quote, dirt on his opponent, Secretary Clinton. That is collusion. So collusion is well established. So Devin Nunes and some of the other Republicans on the committee blocked subpoenas. Who specifically did you not get to talk to who would have been valuable to hear from? So we have a bit of an agreement internally that we're pretty careful about what it is that we reveal about our internal deliberations. It's kind of the nature of membership on the Intelligence Committee. But suffice it to say that there were a lot of people that we didn't get to. There are actually some people that we did get to that are known through open sources that we think we would like to have back, not the least of whom, for example, would be Michael Cohen, who probably seems to be in a little different phase of his life, perhaps a more candid and open phase of his life these days. Uh, It's pretty clear on the basis of the Republican-issued report that the investigation, according to the majority party, kind of went like this. With people who were in or witnesses, they were asked, did you collude, conspire, or coordinate, or are you aware of anybody who did those things? And they said no, and then they said, okay, investigation over. Now, common sense tells you that's not an investigation. An investigation is when you do follow-up to confirm what it is that people assert. Take that for what you will. It does not constitute in any way, shape, or form any common sense definition of the term investigation. Can you summarize what we know about Russian digital interference in 2016 at this point? Well, (laughs) beginning with it was not a hoax. Uh, Absolutely. It was significant. It was material. It was pervasive. And it was clearly intended, as was the unanimous conclusion of the intelligence agencies who looked at this, 
designed to uh, be to the detriment of Secretary Clinton than by implication, obviously, to the benefit of uh, then-candidate, now-President Trump. Vladimir Putin does not spend a lot of money in relative terms on this form of warfare, and that's what it is. It's a form of cyber warfare, uh, and it's extremely cost-effective. His, as it were, return on investment is huge, and he will continue to do that until the pain point that we inflict upon him is such that he decides to stand down. Can you just walk me through what that interference looks like? I know it comes through platforms like Facebook and Twitter. It also shows up as fake news. Can you kind of talk to me about the ecosystem there? So, yes, absolutely. Let, let, let's begin with reminding everyone that it is a violation of federal law for a foreign government to interfere in a U.S. election. That's against the law. That's why so many of those Russian intelligence officers were indicted uh, in accordance with uh, Bob Mueller's investigation. Now, what forms can it take? Probably the worst form it could take would be to mess with the vote tabulation. We don't think that happened in 2016 at all, uh, but it is not as though that we shouldn't take several measures to protect ourselves against that in the future. So vote tabulation is uh, one line of defense that we need to shore up. Uh, the second is voter registration databases. Herein, we know that they went in and snooped around a lot, uh, by last count, probably at least 21 states. In particularly, uh, the state of Illinois was penetrated. Uh, and the amount of damage that could be done through manipulating the voter registration database is pretty significant, too. You can eliminate people from the voter rolls. You can change the spelling of their name. You can do all sorts of things that would wreak havoc on it. Uh, again, we don't think that happened. Uh, but we do know because of forensic evidence that they were on the inside snooping around. In fact, there's one school of thought that believes that they left a, they left a trail of crumbs on purpose in hopes that much would be made of it during the election in the interest of undermining people's confidence in the whole process. Of course, the Obama administration did not rise to that to that bait and were later held in some criticism for it, but it was a conscious policy decision to make sure we were not undermining people's confidence in the absence of evidence that uh, actual manipulation had occurred. Congress has since appropriated some $380 million to various state elections officials to harden their IT systems to protect against this. Uh, frankly, more could be spent. Finally, we have disinformation campaigns. This is where the foreign government basically engages in the use of principally social media platform to spread disinformation or to spread discord. One of the things that they were really clever about, for example, was amplifying the feelings of people on both sides of an issue just to create dissent and discord. Voter tabulation, voter registration, and disinformation campaigns principally through social media platforms, uh, those are the forms or the venues in which this is undertaken. Have you personally dealt with bots or messaging campaigns being a politician? So I can't confirm with 100% certainty to you, Grant, that I have, but we have every reason to believe that I have personally. What do Americans need to know about digital warfare? That we're behind in our efforts to deal with it. This behavior will continue until it's effectively deterred. And what that will require is an administration that's willing to stand up 
to Vladimir Putin and the leaders of Iran and North Korea, because we have evidence that they have as well, and make them pay a penalty or a price sufficiently large that they say it's not worth it to us anymore. And unfortunately, to date, uh, President Trump has not been willing to do that. In fact, he's sent every reverse signal to that, including, for example, regularly claiming that Russian interference in our election was a hoax. We obviously know that was not the case. So according to Facebook, Iran has sort of ham-handedly entered the disinformation space, and that's new. What else has changed since 2016 in terms of who's, who's doing this disinformation online? If you're asking me what other countries have actually begun to engage in this activity, even if I knew that, granted, probably would be inappropriate for me to share it. <laughs> Suffice it to say that this is a continuing vulnerability, uh, and until we get a commitment at the highest levels, it's going to be uh, a continuing source of pain to ourselves. Okay, so I'm going to poke that answer just a little bit to see if I can get a tiny bit more information out of you. Let's assume that Russia created sort of a working map on how to run a disinformation campaign. Are other groups, other countries adopting that in 2018? That's not a heroic assumption, Grant. We actually know that just if for no other reason than reading the indictment of the Russian intelligence officers by uh, special counsel Bob Mueller. So it, you know, we're not, this is not a conclusion based on speculation. This is a conclusion based on fact and fact pattern that is abundantly clear. I have no doubt whatsoever that the fact that Russia did this and got away with it and continues to do it inspires other adversaries. Are Twitter and Facebook handling this stuff properly? Not aggressively enough. I was encouraged to see that some of the social media platform companies met what was it, Friday, August 24th, I guess, to talk about what is it that we can do? How is it that we can protect ourselves against this? It's a tricky area. We're in a new age. The digital age is a new age. And we have to balance a lot of values, rights to privacy, rights to free speech, uh, against that which I asserted earlier, namely the integrity of, uh, of our nation's election process. And so we're kind of writing for the first time, we're evolving for the first time, the protections that keep in balance all of those different kinds of values that we hold dear. So this entire conversation is happening at the same time that some of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle are accusing these social networks of censorship against right-wing voices. Um, is there a possibility that in cracking down on things like messaging, that these right-wing speakers are going to lose their voice on platforms like Facebook and Twitter? Grant, please don't misinterpret what I'm about to say as hostile. <laughs> but I'm going to challenge you, Grant. I don't think you get to repeat their assertion absent any evidence whatsoever of their conclusion. What is the evidence that that is the case? Anybody can assert anything and then you and a lot of other people can repeat it through this platform and a lot of others. But absence any evidence, and I have not seen one iota of evidence to that effect, then, well, I think it speaks for itself. Do you think that's a cynical move on their part then? 
Uh, e Grant. <laughs> we can move on. Yeah, thank you. So you've recently called on Donald Trump to resign. Is that based on what's in the public sphere? Is that based on things that you are aware of that the public's not aware of? My actual call was not for him to resign. It was that I think he should begin having that conversation with his God and his family and himself, because what I believe is that the walls are continuing to close in on him. Uh, if if it were based on something that was not in the public sphere, good try once again, Grant, but I would not be revealing it here. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, that the evidence is accumulating. We now have his personal lawyer who has pled guilty. We have his campaign manager who's pled guilty. We've had a CFO who has struck an immunity agreement. And if you take that all together, there is no question that we are nowhere near the end of what we are about to learn. In fact, what I like to remind people of is if you look back to just say, for example, last spring, and compare what we knew then, the point at which the Republicans prematurely concluded the Russian investigation, to what we know today, there is a world of difference. I now say that the direction, the trajectory of this investigation and the fact pattern is such that if the president were to look back in our nation's history and see how these things turned out before, Perhaps the best thing in the interest of the country would be for him to resign. That is, of course, what President Nixon did. Now, the difference between then and now, and we do live in a completely different world, is that then you had a couple of very principled Republican United States senators, as I recall, Howard Baker and Barry Goldwater, who went to the president and said, Mr. President, it's time for you to go. Uh, I don't know that we will have comparably principled members of the U.S. Senate Republican Conference that will be willing to do that, although I strongly suspect that there are some who will be thinking it. So in terms of revelations, more to come. If history is instructive at all, absolutely. So Denny, this is a entirely serious question. Are we going to be able to get through this? So, Grant, it's a painful question. Um, I'm 66 years old. I grew up during the 50s in the Cold War. And at the time, uh, it was real clear about what the two opposing sides represented. Uh, it was basically a war between capitalism and communism. But as we all know, in, what, 89, I guess it was, the wall fell the Cold War was declared over. What has emerged from it is a new war. It's also not a shooting war, but it's warmer than the Cold War in some regards. And this is the war between the values of liberal Western democracies, and that's a lowercase l and a lowercase d, uh, by which, again, I mean nations who adhere to the rule of law and free, fair, and open elections and democratically elected governments. And, on the other side, the forces of authoritarianism and kleptocracy. Authoritarianism is breaking out all over the world. Obviously, the poster child of it is Vladimir Putin. But you see, even President Xi in China has removed term limits from 
his service as leader as that country. Mr. Erdogan in Turkey, the same thing. And other countries around the world where people who find themselves in leadership positions are accumulating power to themselves to enrich themselves, to enrich some of the people around them uh, who who pay that leader a vig, as it were, a, a slice of the pie. And those are the two forces I see at war in, in the world today. It's kind of the new Cold War. Unfortunately, some of the impulses that lead to that uh, authoritarianism are also exist in this country and, frankly, are manifested by President Trump. Um, and so we're going to have to struggle with that in our country to remember who we are and what we stand for and what it is that we are willing to do to continue to be the nation that we were conceived to be, namely, again, rule of law and free, fair, and open elections. I don't think, while Dr. King said the arc of history bends slowly toward justice, I also don't think it's inevitable. And so I think it's up to us to determine what it is we are able to do, how it is we're able to get through it. If I were a betting person, I'm, I'm going to bet on us. I'm going to bet on our bedrock values. I'm going to bet that there would be a self-correction here. Uh, but what I do worry about, frankly, and, and a problem to which I don't have a lot of glib or easy answer, is how we heal ourselves. Um, I think pretty clearly President Trump is making a living out of dividing us about the other, whether it's immigrants or uh, people from Muslim countries. And, and the real task here is to remember that way more unites us than divides us so that we can stop talking past one another so that we can get to the point where, frankly, the Congress is a lot more functional uh, and the nation's a lot healthier. And, frankly, I would like to think the nation would be a lot more decent. Well, Representative Heck, thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you, Greg. That's it for Bots and Ballots this week. Please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Representative Denny Heck, to Rob Smith for field recording, to Leah Hitchens, my producer. I'm Grant Burningham. Thanks so much for listening.